I've got one! Hello, hello, I'm Ollie Double. I'm a lecturer in drama at the University of Kent, and this is the Proper Job Gradcast, in which we explore how a degree in drama can lead to all kinds of exciting careers in the arts. This will be interesting to you if you're thinking of studying drama at Kent, or you're currently studying drama at Kent, or you're just interested in things. In every episode, I interview a Kent drama graduate working in the arts, and this time I'm talking to Tom Brace, who's a magician. Yes, yes, you heard it right. He's actually a magician, which is an amazing thing. And um, I should just say before we get into the interview that I'm recording this from my front room because it's lockdown and I can't go into the university because it's lockdown. And I should just therefore point out that this interview was conducted before lockdown started. It was it was Saturday the 29th of February, uh, shortly before the lockdown started. And, and Tom had just done a family afternoon show in the Gulbenkian in Canterbury. And it was really, really funny. And, and great. Um, and then after the show, uh, we went into the empty Gulbenkian cinema to record the interview. I should just say, you will hear a little bit of background noise, because obviously, even though it was an empty cinema, it's in the middle of a, a venue, which is a busy working venue, or at least it was then before the lockdown. I'm not going to dwell on that. It's depressing. Instead, let's think about the future and let's have a listen to my interview with the amazing Tom Brace. So I was watching your show this afternoon and one of the things you said at one point on the stage was, I can't believe this is my job, or worse to that effect. <laughs> so for the benefit of uh, people listening, who are you and what is your job? Uh, my name is Tom Brace and I am a family magician. So I go around entertaining adults and children uh, using the medium of magic. Fantastic. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, so I came to magic quite late. Uh, I've, I started, I actually picked up my interest in magic in 2017 uh, which was actually two years after I had graduated at Kent. So I had gone through the training at Kent, having no interest in magic, no desire to do it, and it kind of happened one day. And then, yeah, fast forward three years, it's, yeah, it's my full-time job now. It's your full-time job. That's an amazing achievement in three years. Thank you, Jess. So, so um, you, I mean, just for the benefit of people who might not know much about performing mm-hmm. magic, so what kind of things does your job entail? I mean, what kind of venues do you play? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the kind of uh, logistical issues of being a magician? All that kind of thing. Yeah, so there's there's sort of there's two uh, arms to my magical work, so to speak. Uh, the sort of the day to day is I do close up magic for weddings, corporate events, uh, bar mitzvahs, funerals, the works, uh, and then the other arm of it is actually a stage show that I do. So uh, this is my first year of touring. I got to the Edinburgh Fringe, and that's where I've launched my show for the last two years. Um, but then I go venue to venue, and it could be as uh, as many seats as five hundred, or it could be a smaller sort of intimate, you know, eighty to one hundred seats. Uh, and yeah, I get there, I perform an hour-long magic show that's suitable for all ages, pack everything in a car, and then drive to the next one most of the time. Fantastic. It sounds like really fun. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, like, like I said on stage, I can't believe it's my job. Like, it's nowhere in the world or, you know, in any other job can you just prat around for an hour. Um, and what I love about it the most is it's, it's entertaining children and adults, and that's something that I really, I really enjoy doing. Um, yeah. 
And there's some specific kind of performance skills that that requires, right? Because you need to be able to play to the children in the mm. rooms differently from how you play to the adults. Yes, yeah. When sort of creating the show, I had to make a decision because I was quite late to magic. I was like, do I want to do a kid's show? Do I want to do an adult cabaret show? And I realised that actually I wanted to do something in the middle because I knew that I was mm. good at working with children. I'd worked with children. I'd done some children's parties post university because I was a bit like, I still was unsure of what I wanted to actually do. Um, so I knew that I was good with kids, but I also, whilst at uni here, did uh, the, the stand-up module and popular performance, so I knew that I really enjoyed making adults laugh as well. So, and, and the big thing that I realised as well is that children actually want to be treated like adults, and they don't want to see silly magic tricks. They don't want to see like the old school, like, you know, hankies and things like that. They want to see the cool stuff. Um, so in my first show, I did the, the bullet catch, but with paintball guns. Um, because I knew that actually that kids want to be respected and they don't want to be played down to. And in the show, there's still silly moments. There's, you know, there's chaos. Um, but actually, it's about treating them as adults as well. Yeah, and there's an amazing, I mean, without giving away any spoilers, there's an amazing bit in the show where, it, I mean, this is a quite a standard magic thing, but mm -hmm. it appears something's gone wrong. Yeah. And then that's going to be redeemed later on. But what I thought was really brilliant was that you actually act that brilliantly. Like, it's oh, really convincing <laughs> that, that there is actually an error that's happened and that you've had to do a kind of rescue by putting together a different trick. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that fundamentally also, it, it came down to my my training here at Kent because the, 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 the broad sort of spectrum of things that you can choose as your modules. So I do, I do, Silly magic for adults and children, but you know there is an acting element, and I did you know the Shakespeare modules and things like that, and the the naturalism modules, and it's all still so relevant. Um, even if you even if you're thinking about coming to train and you're like, well, I don't want to do that specific thing, there's still so much you can learn from that module or that kind of type of performance. And I think the more you know about all fill, you know, all mediums of entertainment, then you're you're just preparing yourself and prepping yourself for a sudden career change. In this case. I, I thought I was going to be an actor. I was like, I'm going to be, you know, a, a traditional actor. I'm going to do Shakespeare's and all that. And actually, I realised that I was, I was all right. But actually, entertainment was what I wanted to do. Well, can, can I talk about um, how you got from... So you graduated in 2015, mm -hmm. and, and that's only five years ago. I mean, it's not yes. even five years ago. No, yeah. Early in the year. So, so how did you... Um, what did you do after graduating? And then mm -hmm. when you started doing magic, how did you build that up to be the point where it's a career? So I left, I left in 2015, was going to go to do a postgrad uh, at a drama school, but it was unfunded and I didn't have £18,000 knocking about. So I did what I think a lot of people do that want to act, but feel that they can't necessarily financially support it. And I went into theatre marketing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I did that for the, uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, so for the Pleasance Theatre, which is one of the venues up at the Fringe, one of the bigger ones. Uh, I got a job and I worked in their marketing department. So I was going up to the fringe every year and I've, I've been up there for the last five years. But after the first three, I loved what I was doing. I was, I was, I was working in marketing, but I was seeing loads of comedy, seeing loads of stand-up. I loved the stand-up. Um, and I just saw this magician, uh, it was Magic Jim, and he wasn't in a show, but he was walking around and he was doing magic tricks table to table in a bar. And I looked at him and I, and I, I watched his magic and I just realised that actually with the training that I've received, I could learn magic tricks and then put an entertainment you know, layer over it and then do that. And then it became very addictive. I, I then got off the train the day after the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, all the way from Edinburgh, got off at London at King's Cross and about 15 minutes away there was a magic shop called International Magic, which is one of the oldest ones in London now. In fact, one of the only ones in London because um, they don't really exist anymore. 
And I walked in and I said, I'd like to learn magic. And then from there, I was absolutely addicted. Uh, I'd go in every week with the money that I was earning at my desk job, because I was still doing my desk job. And then eventually I realized that I could make a living out of it very quickly. Um, and I think in all these situations as well, you've got to just do it. There's no point in thinking, could I do this, could I do that? Because you get older and then you get more, uh, there's more responsibilities. And, you know, I, I don't have any children or a mortgage or anything like that. But I was like, right, if I'm going to make this jump, I've got to do it now. And, uh, and yeah, so basically worked at it really hard, became quite obsessed, broke up with my girlfriend <laughs> had a lot yeah, more a time pre- a career <laughs> yes you have to if you're in a relationship <laughs> bin it off and, um, and just just literally like threw myself into it but I'm very lucky because and, we, and I don't think I think most magicians would agree the ones that find it early in life are a little bit socially awkward they haven't had to develop those pers- you know those, those, those people skills and they certainly haven't trained in performance a lot of them so they're amazing, and they can do amazing sleight of hand, which I can't do. And, you know, to put it bluntly, everything I do, I work really hard at, but I'm not a sleight of hand cardist type person. But the skills I acquired at Kent meant that I could make it as entertaining as possible. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a book called uh, Hiding the Elephant. You know that one? I don't. I oh, don't. it's a really good, it's a good history of magic, but it's also oh, okay. about... Uh, it starts in the sort of 19th century. Right. And it goes through... Um, you know, the, the, from sort of Pepper's Ghost, it goes through a lot of the principles of oh, how wow. magic tricks were, were developed and evolved. But one of the things that he argues, which is really good, is that he says that it's actually not about the trick itself, it's about how it engages the audience's imagination. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm reading something at the moment uh, which I'd really recommend to people that are interested in entertainment as, a, uh, as an art form called Maximum Entertainment by someone called Ken Weber. Oh, I don't know, that sounds good. Uh, it's, I, honestly, it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's about... He, he, he hits a nail on the head where he says... He said his he's aha moment about how people should be entertained is that an audience doesn't care about anything. They don't care what the medium is. They are there to escape their day-to-day lives. As long as it's warm and they can have a drink and sit in the dark for an hour or two, they don't care what props you use. They don't care about uh, where you train. They don't care about your magic award. So you've got to make it as entertaining as possible for them. And that's something that is like stuck with me. And it, I just, yeah, it stuck with me for a long time. So how did you start getting paid work? I mean, I'm interested in that because you, mm-hmm. you, you've talked about how you, it became a thing that you were obsessed by and mm-hmm. you threw yourself into. But how did you actually get people to start paying you for what you do? Uh, so I began, I did a lot of working for free or for very cheaply to begin with. So, you know, I to was going to build up an audience um, and to make sure what I was doing was half decent. So working, at, I, I knew a restaurant that I used to work at when I was, I was a waiter there. And I was like, hey, can I come in and do some magic for your guests? You know, for your people that are eating at your restaurant. Um, and then eventually, you you just have to you have to do it as much as you can, be it paid or free, and then and hand out as many business cards. And I know this is quite specific to magic, but I guess it works for other mediums. Is you have to just give out as many cards as possible, make the best impression, and people will start to remember you. And then that's the thing: people don't ever set out going, "We need to book a magician." They meet you, and then they go, "Oh, actually, that would be good for my wedding, my funeral." <laughs> I keep saying funeral, my my wedding, my party. Um, but there are also websites that you can put yourself on. I use one called Bark, which is like a like a kind of a yellow pages where people put in requests for entertainment and then you can quote for it. Um, but yeah, it's just about getting yourself out there as much as possible and making sure people remember you and giving out business cards. So, so it's kind of networking and, and marketing, really. So yeah. in a way, you're, you're marketing. It was perfect. It was ideal. It kind of 
yeah, I, I was equipped with the tools because I'd worked in theatre marketing for two years or three years at that point. So I knew actually the, the importance of a good image, uh, you know, like artwork and, and whatnot. I knew the importance of a good website, good social media presence. And that's something that I really hammer in my show. I make sure people know that they can find me online. They can follow me because I want them to come again. And I want them to, I, I try and put out a show a year and write new content every year. So I want them to be able to go, oh, I, he's doing another show. I'll come back to the gold banking. I'll come back to wherever it is. Yeah. So you've you've alluded alluded to this already, mm-hmm. but um, you've t- one of the questions I always ask is what things did you take from your degree that have helped you in what you do now? Um, two modules in particular, and I think they're both your modules, oh, which is go. you know there we go. Uh, popular performance. Uh, so uh, we, I, I trained. So when we did it, it was we focused on slapstick, but there are lots of different things that you can focus on during that term. I think that's if that's yeah. still the case. Um, and we did slapstick for I think like maybe like six or seven weeks, and yeah. it was it was such fun. So that, and if you come and see my show, it there is a level of it's not necessarily slapstick slapstick, but there is a, a an element of chaos and and the kind of the the setting things up to go wrong is you know is very important to it. And facial reactions. I mean, I was mm. noticing that today. You know, you you get a lot by reacting to somebody making a noise in the audience just with your face. Yes, which is huge in slapstick. Absolutely, yeah. The the the, the looks and the double takes and things yeah. like that. Um, and then the other one uh, was the the stand-up module, which I absolutely loved. It was something completely different. And that was in the third year as well. So it, it really felt like different to what I'd been doing in the first and second year. And I loved that. And I just loved breaking down people's performance style. And you don't really realise until you break it down and, and study it, the art form of stand-up. It's... Because it looks like there's no technique at all. It, absolutely. It looks like people are funny and and that's it. And actually... I, I, a big a big thing that I remember, and this was going back five years ago now, is we chatted about Eddie Izzard and how he makes things look spontaneous, even though they are, they're not. But in that moment, the audience goes, oh my goodness, he's so, I just thought of that on the spot. And actually the more, and, it, and that really applies in magic, you know, the more that you can, people say the same things all the time. You say I'm a magician, people go, oh, can you make my wife disappear? You know, and, you, and you've got to react like that's the first time you've ever heard that joke. <laughs> and people, I'm probably going to get away now, but I'm always, you know, you always have to go, oh, you're, you know. You've got to have a zinger or something that feels off the cuff, yeah. but actually is is something you say maybe forty times a night at a wedding. Um, you know, yeah. c- can you make a million pounds appear in my bank account? And yeah, so that was really important. But even though those ones are quite sort of intrinsically linked with magic, even the things like um, the the you know the the Shakespeare modules and the acting modules, you are still acting. You are you are there is a there is a persona that you're creating. And if you, rhythm and things like a that. A rhythm, yeah, absolutely. And timings and things like that. You know, Shakespeare is one of the greatest, uh, you know, comedy writers of all time in a way because because the way that's all built with those beats and things, you know. And that, and that, and that, that absolutely transfers over. And I, I think the thing that I'd want to stress is every single module that I did in some capacity helped what I was, you know, it helped me achieve what I was going to do even though, that I, even though I didn't do a magic. There was no magic yeah, module, yeah, yeah. you know. It was, yeah. It's all so relevant. And, and I think the most important thing to people listening to this is when you're picking your modules or if you're choosing to come to Kent, um, make it as broad as possible yeah. because you're prepping yourself for any any career. And I think, you know, and I feel extremely lucky to have, have got that from, from my time here, uh, you know, Great. at Kent. And it was, re- it was lovely watching you this afternoon because uh, those kind of tricks of being able to think on your feet, react mm-hmm. to it and make it feel like you're in control of it. Mm-hmm. Like, what, there's one point where you had a, a little small boy up helping you with a trick. Yep. 
and he just got to the point where it got too much for him that he was really yes. upset <laughs> and you dealt with that so well because you turned it from this um, moment where it seemed like oh god this is chaotic mm-hmm. into oh this is funny now particularly when the, the next kid gets up and then he doesn't want to do then it then he bottles out yeah yeah it's um I think you've got to have those those levels as a performer, and you have to you have to be prepared for anything, um, and that's why all the tricks that I do as well aren't not the only reason they're not technically complicated. It's probably because I'm not as technically you know technically advanced, but I want the tricks to be as simple as possible, so I have the freedom to go anywhere with them. Yeah. So I know that I can fall back on the trick, but also I've got the freedom to move away from it. And if something funnier is happening, I've had times where people have walked out, and I've had to like abandon the trick follow them outside and have a laugh with them and i think the key thing with entertainment as well is you've got to be able to react to things that are happening around you and if a child is funnier than you you've got to let them be funny you can't there's nothing sadder than seeing a performer trying to wrestle back attention from a child yeah from a child you know if if, yeah if you've got a heckler you know like an adult you've got to do your best to put them down in a way but with a child if they if they come out with a zinger and the audience love it You've, 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 they've won, and yeah, yeah. But also, in a, in a broader sense, you created that whole situation anyway. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm certainly. I try to be. To, to put it bluntly, I'm quite mean to children in the show. Oh, that bit where you he's too young to do the trick and you <laughs> make him walk all the way out. Them out. That's a funny joke. Yeah, that's one of my. I'm kind of sad. I hope I can put it. In my. I hope people forget about it, so I can put it in my new show. But I really like the idea of, of going as far as you possibly can to the point where people go. Is that too far? And then you and then you pull it back, and then you make it all about them, and then people forget that you were mean because you're like you give them all the attention. Um, and we have had some criers, you know, we've had some people that throw wobblies, and yeah, you've got to, you have a duty of care as a performer to make sure that everyone leaves happy. Happy, yeah. yeah. So, so I've got one last question. Cool. Uh, what would you say to people who say that a drama degree won't lead to a proper job? Oh, uh, it's absolutely rubbish not the case yeah you and, and I, I genuinely mean that I'm not just saying that because I've been very lucky and I've got a job uh, in performing even if you don't want to go into performing as an entertainer the skills that you learn in terms of talking to people you know I, I've got plenty of friends that have done a drama degree and have have gone into jobs that means they have to negotiate deals or they have to um they have to liaise with people the confidence it gives you is second to none it and you're just so well prepared um and if you want a job in performing after and you put your mind to it you will find one because the training you receive is amazing and you are surrounded by industry professionals and actually it's not so much about your degree that is the is the way of getting the job after it's about your determination because you're prepared you, you've got the life skills after coming to kent what it actually is is whether you can work hard enough past then to make it happen that was uh, Tom Brace there. And uh, what str- a couple of things struck me about uh, that interview. Well, first of all, it was really interesting because Tom didn't study magic as part of his degree. But what's really interesting is how things that he did study, like popular performance and stand-up comedy, gave him a, a kind of um, repertoire of performance techniques that he could use once he started doing magic that helped him develop quickly. And then the second thing that strikes me is the thing that always strikes me with these interviews is the determination that he showed to get himself established as a magician. 
And I think that is is the key thing. It's not enough to just want an exciting career in the arts. You've got to really work at it and stick with it. First of all, to develop your talent. And secondly, to kind of constantly be uh, developing contacts so that you can open up doors which allow you to do the thing that you want to do and get paid for it. So that's it for this episode of Proper Job Cragcast. I'll see you for the next one very soon. Bye. Got to, got to get a proper job.